When I was in college, I knew somebody who had a co-worker who told me about who on her desk, had, she was a Christian, and she had a little um, like sign or, or placard, like a little piece of word art that she kept above her desk in her cubicle to remind her, and it said, the only hell I will ever go to is the one I'm living in right now. Which, he always hated that little thing because it like, sounds so gloomy and, and like a bummer. And uh, I agree. <laughs> I think it does sound like a bummer. And it, does, it actually doesn't sound that Christian, although I think what she was probably trying to communicate to the co-workers and stuff that read it and to herself as she was reminded was that there was some heaven that was worth waiting for, that this current life um, was full of suffering and evil and sin, but there was coming a world that was worth the wait, you know? And so this was, you know, she's, she is saved, she believed herself to be saved, and that, that inheritance was assured to her. Um, so all she had to do was kind of put up with this life, and then she would get that life. Um, by contrast, I was talking to someone, uh, someone pretty close to me um, this week who's very sick and um, the possibility of death is on the horizon. And I asked him, um, are you looking forward to heaven? And his answer kind of perplexed me. It was, uh, well, kind of, but I mean, it's not so bad yet that I'm looking forward to heaven. You know, like, I think I still have got some good time left here on earth that uh, it's not so miserable that I've got to just, like, say goodbye um, or, or want to go to heaven. And I thought, like, both of those things are sort of two, two extremes, opposites, um, if you want, about our attitude towards life after death, our heavenly inheritance, the second coming and um, eternal life, basically. One is that this life is just a waiting room for eternal life, that really there's not much to be enjoyed. In fact, God really doesn't want us to enjoy much about this life. The less we enjoy it, the more heaven uh, we want, you know, the more dedicated to God we are if we just kind of like put up with this life and don't give into its pleasures. And the other extreme is like, well, this life is pretty pleasant and heaven is coming later, I, I hope, and I assume it's going to be pretty nice. But as long as I'm enjoying this life, why look forward to, to that? Why worry about the afterlife too much? And the Catholic view is, of course, the tension of two paradoxes, both that we do long for this, like we, we are in this veil of tears, we pray in the Hail Holy Queen, this exile of sin until we reach heaven, until we reach the house of God forever, um, that this life is full of suffering and full of sorrow and full of loss. Um, and we do long for this eternal kingdom, which is the fulfillment of all our desires, but at the same time, this life is meant to be enjoyed. That that heavenly experience, that closeness with God, is even here and now part of our daily earthly experience. That God is near to us as he will be fully near to us, totally in communion with us and we with him in heaven. Um, that we can both love this life and long for heaven. And that's what we kind of celebrate in Advent, this beginning of the new liturgical year, is looking forward to Christmas, of course, the first coming of, of Christ, but also this longing for the second coming. Advent means to come to, that God is coming to us as he already has come to us in the incarnation of Jesus. He comes to us in every Mass, but he's also coming in this fullness 
at the end of time that we'll get to experience forever in heaven. But even here and now in this everyday yearly experience of Advent and the liturgical year, we're acknowledging and asking to appreciate more deeply that this life is here and now giving way to a fuller life. That at every moment, God is wanting to reveal and to give for us a fuller, um, more beautiful life and a joyful life. And where does joy come from? When have you felt joy? The joy of the Holy Spirit, like real joy. It's nearness. It's communion. It's love. That's where our hearts are made for love. They're made by love. God is love. And they're made for love. Um, that's what heaven is, is being with the one we love. I was walking down the street up Morgan like two, three weeks ago, and I was just trudging over here to Newman from my house, not thinking about, well, probably thinking about the next thing I had to do and the emails I had to return. And, and I just heard this yelp, like a joyful yell um, of a child. And I looked across the street, and it was a little boy running up to his big sister um, and just giving her a big hug. She was a student probably getting picked up by her parents uh, from school, and the little brother just couldn't contain his joy. He got out of the car and ran to her and gave her a big hug. And she just kind of picked him up and held him for a little bit and then um, let him down and they held hands and walked to the car. And I thought, that's a little foretaste of heaven. That's joy, of being near the one we love, of being close to them and wanting to be close to them. But heaven is that forever. There is a permanent, unceasing, continuous communion. That's where joy comes from. But the opposite of that, despair, sadness, that comes from separation. Or when we feel that love is just out of reach, that we can't get at love, or the one we love <clears throat> is far from us. And maybe it's because we made a bad choice, because we're a sinner. We've done something to lose our privilege of loving and being loved. Or maybe there's something wrong with me and I just can't be loved, like I, I don't belong. And so I'm separate, I'm outside of that communion. Or maybe just there's a cynicism that that love doesn't really exist. That ultimately, and maybe we come in and out of that sort of, um, that feeling or that, that fog. Like sometimes we feel that God is close and we, we're optimistic about heaven and, and the reality of God's love for me. But then we fall into some sort of sadness and, and feeling of alienation. Um, that that's where despair comes from, is that we, we feel out of love. We feel separate. So in another way of putting this is that joy is being home. In the, in the first reading, um, the prophet Isaiah says, In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountain and raised above the hills. All nations shall stream toward it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob. Remember in the Last Supper, Jesus says uh, to Thomas, in my, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. He's talking about heaven. In my Father's house. You ever thought about that, the fact that God describes heaven as a house? But what kind of house is it? When I, when I hear the house of the God of Jacob, or my Father's house has many dwelling places, I think of a huge mansion. I don't know about you. I mean, how many billions of people have there been? He's got to make rooms for, for each one of us. It's got to be a huge, big house. But I don't know about that. I, was, I went for a walk on Thanksgiving Day. I was up in my, uh, at my parents' house. 
was walking around the town that I grew up in, and there, was this, there always was this little house like a block away from my parents' house that was kind of dilapidated and run down, but it was a tiny little house on a tiny little lot in the suburbs, and all the other lots are like full lots. This must have been like a quarter lot, and it had a little bitty house with a little bitty stoop and not even a full driveway, just like a little place where you can kind of pull your car in. And as I was walking by that, somebody bought that house and fixed it up and painted it, and it looks really nice now. And I was like, that's one of the most charming houses I've ever seen. And they even have a little dinner bell on the stoop, like outside the front door. I was like, is there a family living in that tiny little house? And it made me think of the book, The Secret Garden. I, maybe many months ago, I was reading this book. I might have mentioned it in the homily. In the, in the book, The Secret Garden, there are these two children who live in this gigantic mansion. And they're sad all the time. And it, it's like the story of them kind of coming back to life. But the, the family that they encounter that gives them the love that brings them back to life out of the sadness of just living in this big, lonely house is the, the Sowerbees, this family of 12 kids and two parents that live in a tiny little postage stamp house on the, on the moors of Yorkshire, England. And most of the time, the children spend playing outside because this house has, like, no room in it. All they do in the house is basically eat together and sleep. But there is this togetherness and this unity and this love in this family that just radiates joy. And I think maybe that's what God's house is like in heaven. Obviously not literally, but um, from a, like an emotional or psychological or spiritual existential perspective, it's this closeness that gives us joy. It's this feeling of belonging, um, that we have a place in this house and that we're nearer to the ones we love um, there's something very deep in that. Um, so I would just leave you with this question. I was pondering it um, last night. As I was thinking about this idea of home, that God, what heaven is, is we, we're longing for going home. But even now we have a taste of home, don't we? Of God's love for us. If we treat God like our home. But I think, maybe I just speak for myself, sometimes I treat God not like my home, but like my work or like my school. You know, this thing that I go to, to go do. Where there's tasks for me to do, homework, time I need to spend, and then I check that box and I perform what I'm supposed to perform, and then I go to my home. And what's my home base? I don't know, entertainment, my friends, my hopes and dreams, what, what, I, what I invest myself in, what, what I feel is my home base, the place where I really belong. Is that God, or has God become kind of one of these things outside of my home that I go do, I finish with, and then I come home. And the thing about work and school or all, all those places outside the home is that usually um, that love is conditional. My teachers love me if I, get good, if I do well. They give me my A, right? Or my boss loves me, i.e. pays me and doesn't fire me, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do. But at home, the love is unconditional, I'm loved not because of what I do, but because of who I am or whose I am. And when we treat God like work or like school, we start to think that in order for God to love me, like my teachers or my boss, I need to kind of be someone I'm not. Uh, there's something that I haven't done yet or something that I need to do um, that once I do it, then I will get the love I'm looking for or I will get the grade I'm looking for or I will get the job I'm looking for. But to live with this longing for home, with, with that foretaste already here and now, to live 
in, with, and for God is to be myself with him. And that's the kind of love that we have to learn. I'm learning it. You're learning it. To be ourselves with God. Um, to not treat him like someone we need to be someone else with. Um, but to simply receive that love. And why is that hard to do? Because with my boss and with my teacher, I'm sort of in control. If I get a bad grade, there's no one to blame but me. If I get fired, there's no one to blame but me. And so I'm in control. I can get the good grade if I just work hard enough. I can get the job. I can keep the job if I just work hard enough. I get up early. I get there on time. I do my work. But with relationships, with home, with unconditional love, I'm not in control. I simply have to give myself and trust that that love exists. But the good thing is, then it's free, which means it's actually love. If I'm getting control, it's not love because it's either forced or it's earned. And that's not love. So to give up control, to come to this altar and just allow God to freely love me and to freely love him in return, that means that there's a joy coming at Christmas, sure, but in heaven, for real, forever. But I can taste it here and now that God is my home. This is where I'm at rest. This is where I'm at myself with him.